0: Let me get you to please stand, and this Pentecost Sunday, our reading comes from Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 1 down through verse 16, page 1182 in the Pew Bible if you're following there, or in the service sheet insert. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And When he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the next day, after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray you'd please send your powerful, sovereign Holy Spirit upon us, We pray that you'd open our ears and our hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your word, believe it, obey it, Father, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I've called my sermon this morning, The Problem of Tough Decisions. Uh, We all know about the reality of tough decisions in life. Life is full of tough decisions, sometimes Really, really tough decisions. Uh, Just this week, I got a call from James Gunasilan. Some of you have gotten to know James. He's a charming man who has been attending MetroCrest for the last several months. Uh, He often sits at the back. Uh, He's uh, an older man, uh, a wonderful guy, very, very interesting to talk to. He's had a remarkable life, and I've enjoyed getting to know him. The Patels and I have had coffee with him a couple of times. and Really, really nice man. Well, I got a call this week from James. He was actually over at uh, UT Southwestern in the hospital. And uh, I don't know, that usually gets my attention. Somebody's calling from UT Southwestern who doesn't have any business being at UT Southwestern. I sit up and pay attention what's going on. And so James told me he was going into the hospital for bypass surgery. So David, you you, uh, were prescient in your illustration because... I mean, that's a very serious thing. And he was there at UT. He was in the process of deciding whether or not to get this bypass surgery. And he was actually seeking counsel. He didn't ask me to do the surgery, which was very smart on his part. But he asked my thoughts about it. He asked me uh, what I thought about it. And he laid out a few of the criteria that uh, he was using to decide what to do. Uh, in terms of risk and what were the likely advantages for a man of his age with his health. And so he was trying to weigh all these different things and decide what was the best option for him uh, to take. And uh, I got involved with his daughter, Ada. I think Ada and uh, her brother, David, might possibly be watching on television from UT Southwestern this morning. Uh, they got involved. Uh, they're Christians and uh, Uh, Ada's the wife of a pastor, and they're praying people. And so they were praying. I was asked to pray. I was asked to pitch in my two bits. Uh, James sought counsel from doctors and healthcare experts, and friends and family, and even his pastor uh, as he tried to figure out what decision to make. We all prayed, and he sought more counsel, and we all prayed a lot more. And finally, James had to make a decision what to do, and he decided to go forward. With the uh, bypass surgery, and it wound up being a triple bypass surgery when they actually got going, they discovered that that was what was called for and According to james's lovely daughter, it was a godsend, and it's actually worked out very well for James. Uh, he is very much among us, and I saw him yesterday in his in his room up there at the hospital, smiling uh, in a little bit of discomfort but very, very grateful to be there with his family. Very, very grateful for the prayers of, of uh, many friends who love him and care for him. And this week, that, that's been very much on my mind. That, that idea of, of really big decisions, really tough decisions that we're all faced with. We're all faced with decisions. I mean, if you really think about it, life is just a, an unending series of decisions. Most of them are little tiny decisions, some are medium decisions, some are tough decisions, Uh, some are really tough decisions, some are really tough decisions that we thought were easy decisions, and when we get into it, we discover how serious and how tough the decision may actually be. That's really what the human experience is all about, just this series of engaging with reality, engaging with our ongoing experience. Life is a series of tough decisions. Well, the passage we're going to look at this morning has a lot to do with decisions. Uh, As a matter of fact, if you look at uh, my first point, I've called it tough decisions in Paul's life. If you look down at verse 3, chapter 20, verse 3, you will see Paul is making a decision. He decided to return through Macedonia. There were lots of reasons for that. He could have gone a variety of different ways to make it to his location that he wanted to get to. Uh, But he made a decision to go through Macedonia. And then there's a list of all the different people that he takes with him and he sends ahead of him. It's it's interesting, all the detail that Luke records, all of the decisions that Paul and his colleagues were making as they uh, carried on the mission That had been entrusted to them. That's verse 3. If you look at the end of the passage in verse 16, you'll see Paul decided something else. He decided to sail past Ephesus. I don't blame him for sailing past Ephesus. You may remember he had been there for a number of years, had had a very productive and effective and fruitful ministry, but had left there really just one step ahead of the mob. They were really angry at him. And so uh, it was a decision that Paul made to sail on past Ephesus so that he might have time to spend in Asia. And interestingly, uh, he goes back towards Ephesus in verse 17. We'll look at that uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, But it's interesting, this, this cycle of decisions that Paul is making and that Luke very carefully and specifically records... One of the things we'll notice about the end of the book of Acts is how many decisions Paul is making. How many decisions he's making. Just every chapter includes references to decisions that Paul has to make. Uh, The the word decide shows up a couple of times. But in verse 13 you see the word intend. uh, The intentions that Paul has in Verse 13, uh, that word is sort of readied himself. That's the sense of the Greek word, he readied himself. And uh, In Acts chapter 19, verse 21, uh, just the previous chapter uh, in reference to Paul's work in in, uh, an earlier stage, uh, he resolves in verse 21, uh, in the spirit it says, to pass through Macedonia and Achaia on his way to Jerusalem. Lots and lots of decisions in Paul's life. He, he has to make them. They have to be made. Uh, every single moment, there are decisions. Am I going to do this or am I going to do that? Am I going to do this, 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 or this? There's an infinite variety of things, really. It's not binary. It's not do this or that. There are many things we could do at any moment. And so Luke is recording the tough decisions in Paul's life. And I think it's intentional. I think it's intentional. Remember that Luke is writing the book of Acts to the church as a kind of manual for mission. Uh, This isn't just a story. This is a story with a point. The point is that our personal lives are full of decisions, as is our corporate life. Life is full of decisions. And what happens in Acts chapter 20 and and elsewhere in the book of Acts, it, it has a lot to teach us about these decisions. I'd like for us to think a little bit about these decisions, these tough decisions and the problem of tough decisions. And this first glimpse we get has to do with the decisions Paul has to make personally. Um, They have implications for him. (laughs) Uh, In many cases, the decisions that Paul makes spares him hardship. Uh, Just earlier in chapter 19, uh, Paul decided not to engage the crowd directly. There were those who thought he should. There were many who thought he shouldn't. Paul wasn't sure what to do. He decided not to do it. Uh, A few of his friends got pretty roughed up. But Paul, who had a special role, in a particular ministry, they were seeking to protect Paul, not because he was somehow better than they were, but because he had a unique role to play. And so his friends, including Aristarchus, who's mentioned here in chapter 20, uh, they are the ones who actually are actually are persecuted. They're actually roughed up in the middle of Acts chapter 19. Um, so, you know, sometimes Paul makes a decision that spares him hardship uh, so that he can be more effective. Sometimes he makes decisions that lead him right into hardship, like going to jail in Philippi. Uh, he, He actually chose to engage another angry mob that was furious with him because he dared to seek to liberate a slave girl from an evil spirit. And while he could have ducked away from the crowd, he actually ministered to this girl, actually is successful in helping to deliver her from this evil spirit. And as a result of that, the mob attacks him. He winds up being beaten and thrown into jail. And rather than fleeing when he had the opportunity, Paul decided to stay in jail. And because he decided to stay in jail and suffer the hardship of being locked up, because he did that, they were able to witness to the jailer of all people who came to Christ. So there are many instances right through the book of Acts as Paul's life and ministry becomes more and more the focus of the book of Acts. There are many instances where Paul's decisions spare him hardship And many decisions where because of his decisions, he suffers hardship. And in fact, the book of Acts is the story of Paul making tough decision after tough decision after tough decision. And we're going to see lots of those in the remaining chapters leading him to martyrdom. It leads him to martyrdom. And I guess you could say, as you make your way through all this, as you kind of learn what Paul's going through, I guess you could say, well, easy come, easy go. Sometimes you make a good decision. Sometimes you make a bad decision. Do the best you can. Hope for the best. But if that was the message, if that's what we took away from the book of Acts, Luke would be very disappointed. Because the message is not, hope you make a good decision, do the best you can, and and suffer the blows when they come your way and it's sort of just a matter of good luck or bad luck. No, the point of all of this is that in all of Paul's tough decisions there is another actor who reigns over it all. Who brings purpose out of the chaos. Who brings good things out of the good things and better things out of the awful things. Who is at work, who has a plan and a purpose which Paul and the apostolic church and you and I are learning about in real time. As we make the infinite decisions in front of us, we're learning in this school of discipleship that there is one who reigns over us who is working out his purposes. We get to be a part of it. But it's his purpose that matters. It's what he accomplishes through us that matters. And while our little decisions are important to us, ultimately, it doesn't really matter all that much what happens in the specific moment. I know that's easy to say, hard to do, but there's a sense in which God is working through all of it, good and bad. Good time, hard time. He's working. Good decisions where things go well for us, hard decisions where we learn to trust in him. He's working through all of it. Uh, Susan uh, Smith introduced me to a marvelous uh, writer, Pierce Taylor Hibbs, who writes Beautifully about this. Get a chance, uh, track down uh, Pierce's uh, book about how God works through hard things. Really, really hard things. He works through them. And He has a purpose. You know what His purpose is? His purpose is to make us more like His Son. And every experience, every decision, good or bad, God mercifully uses it for good in our life and in eternity. And one day in glory, you and I are going to spend a whole lot of time praising Him for it. Praising Him for the the hardest experiences we have because it's in those hardest experiences that He's most powerfully at work. It's in those times where we learn the most about how truly dependable he is how faithful he is and how he is working for good whether we see it or not and that's what's unfolding here in Acts 20 and the rest of the book of Acts tough decisions in Paul's life and of course they all lead to tough decisions in the church's life because Paul's never presented as an independent actor just out there doing his own thing Paul's ego all about what Paul wants to do From start to finish, Paul's concern is the church. From start to finish, every decision he makes isn't really so much about what's best for him. It's his decision about what's best for the church. And he says so. He's actually writing to the Philippians. And he says, you know, I'm ready to die. I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. I'm just ready to die. That would be the better thing for me, he said, as he wrote to the church he dearly loved. But he said, what really matters is what's best for you and what's best for the church. I tell you, I I want to have that heart. I want to have that heart for you, for the mission of Jesus Christ in the world, for the church of Jesus Christ in the world. The church, the mission of the church, God's covenant people, that's what ultimately matters because it's through that that God is accomplishing His purposes. It's not just about me. It's not just about you as an individual. It's about what God is doing through us and in us and often in spite of us to accomplish His purposes. And so Paul's tough decisions are intimately connected to the churches tough decisions. Uh, there are countless decisions in church life. Uh, each one of us as individuals make decisions about church life. We, we decide uh, how we're going to invest our time and our money and our energy. We, we decide, am I going to get up and go to church today? Lots of good reasons to stay at home and stay in bed. Really good reasons. Really good reasons. But praise God, some of us are able to say, you know What? I'm going to go and be with God's people at MetroCrest Presbyterian Church this morning. And I can tell you this, whether you feel it or not, your difference here makes a difference. Your presence here makes a difference. You encourage us by being here. You encourage us by the smile you share with someone. You don't know what they're going through right now. None of us does. We're, we're, we, we don't really have that kind of knowledge of each other. And we get pretty pretty skilled at hiding and not revealing the things we're going through. But this gathering week by week is the chance for us to come and encourage and comfort and strengthen each other. And so I'm so glad when people make the sometimes tough decision. Not all that tough, but relatively uh You know, relatively complicated decisions sometimes to to come and be at church together. It's an encouragement. It's it's meant not only to help you and bless you, but to bless us by you being here. So there are lots of decisions, big ones and little ones. Uh, Paul had decided to stay in Greece for three months. He had uh, decided to return through Macedonia, not go back through Ephesus. He decided to spend specific people ahead of him. Uh, easy decisions medium decisions tough decisions really tough decisions like i say they're all, they're unending in personal life and in church life and what was true in paul's day is it's true in our day too it's not so dramatic as the things that we read about here in paul's life and ministry the ministry of the apostolic church they were living through unique times well we're living through unique times too And our church makes tough decisions. Uh, If you ask Daniel Greiser what he spends a lot of his spare time doing, you know what he's doing? He's pouring over the numbers with Steve Thomas, our treasurer, thinking about next year's budget. And I've seen the work that Steve and Daniel are doing, getting input from all the team leaders across the church as they try to figure out, what do we want to do? What do we believe God is calling us to do next year? What are the the priorities? Uh, It's never good enough simply to say, well, this is what we did last year. We'll just do something like that this year. No, we take it a lot more seriously than that. We're we're seeking to discern the, the Lord's leading. We're seeking to decide how to invest our money, how to invest the resources God has entrusted to us it's a lot of decision making and the session will be receiving from the deacons uh, and the treasurer very soon a, a proposed budget pray for your officers new and and returning pray for the officers of metrocrest church that we will discern and make wise godly god honoring decisions about all of that um, actually the session is meeting on wednesday uh, june 9th and uh, we'll, we'll be praying for a whole range of things. Uh, I've discovered being a church officer is very much about decisions. It's very much about listening to one another, listening to the Lord, uh, trying to discern, trying to make decisions that honor him. And so pray for your church officers because there are tough decisions in church life. Had a lot of interesting conversations this uh, last couple of weeks with Kathleen Barclay, who's the uh, mission team coordinator for MetroCrest. She works with a little team of people who love mission, who love ministry. And they're trying to figure out, okay, we've got, I think you said we have 14 missionaries. (laughs) Something like 14 missionaries. And we want to support them. We want to figure out what can... What can we do to do what God wants us to do? That's a a big deal to us. You know, it's not as dramatic as what Paul is going through. His his experience is unique. But from his experience, we we can learn something. We can learn that God's working for good. He has a purpose, and he gives us the privilege, the unspeakable privilege as a church of being a part of his work here in the world, in our neighborhood. He gives MetroCrest the privilege of being a part of that. Uh, we took a little group out to uh, the um, concern, Christian uh, concern, Chris, Concerned Christians in Action and uh, our com- Christian Community Action, something like that. Yeah, my first time to go over there this past week with Jeff and some of the others and Paul and Judy and... Uh, and uh, Kathleen was there. We went over there, and let me tell you, what a wonderful ministry. I I discovered what I had not really understood, that MetroCrest has been a part of that ministry for decades. For decades. Our little church has been sending a little team of people in the name of Jesus Christ to deliver food to people who really need food. What a privilege that is to go and and be in very concrete uh, terms, the hands, the feet, the smiling face of Jesus to people who need help. Uh, Sharon Abibi, who's a member of our church and a a missionary of our church, uh, responded on Facebook just this week. Uh, She said, uh, I benefited from that ministry. She wrote it, it it's on the Facebook page. She's saying, I benefited from it. I I got food from the bread ministry, the food ministry that MetroCrest supports once upon a time in her life. And it made a difference. Not only did it help her to grow in Christ, it, it helped her become a missionary for Christ. Who now lives her life having made a decision based on the decision we made. There are lots of tough decisions in church life, and it is a great privilege to be a part of it. Paul knew that. He knew that. He had learned that, and we're learning it too that the decisions we make do matter. And so this chapter is just full of these little hints of how we learn that and why it matters. I want to spend a moment talking about the God given resources for our decision-making. God loves us too much to simply give us a tough job with lots of tough decisions and leave us to our own resources. That wouldn't be a very God-like thing to do. God gives us a tough job and then he gives us resources to fulfill the tough job that he's given us to do. And this passage suggests some of the resources God gives us. There some, in some cases, they're they're more like hints, but they're very, very important hints. A friend of mine named Philip Jensen was the dean of the Anglican Cathedral in Sydney, Australia, and a, a wonderful, faithful preacher, a wonderful uh, Christian writer. He wrote a whole book about decision making, and uh, in this book, uh, this. Book Actually, what I'm quoting is an article based on the book. He writes uh, about decision-making. He uses the example of a man finding a wife. So a little bit like what Justin was sharing a minute ago. Uh, Philip Jensen writes about decision-making using this as an example. He says, quote, We're terribly concerned about deciding between Drusilla and Mary Lou. We think the success of our whole married life will depend on the right choice, and we agonize over it. However, God's priority is for us to be godly, whether we are single or married, and whether we marry Drusilla or Mary Lou. After all, he says, that is the journey we are on, to become like Christ. What is more, God has given us all we need to know to complete this journey. What he's talking about is the scriptures. The Bible is God's wisdom to us. Uh, it's, it's not so much a, a book that's filled with every possible decision. Those are infinite, right? You, could, you couldn't write a book that gave us the infinite variety of decisions that we have to make. What God does is, is give us wisdom. That we adapt and use for the infinite decisions we make in life. We learn wisdom. God's Word teaches us wisdom. God's Word teaches us the principles on which you and I are able to make the infinite decisions we have to make. He doesn't simply every morning give me sort of my divine to do list and, and uh, you know, this decision, choose this, and this decision, choose this, and this decision, choose that. What he does is he gives me and you the principles in his word that we need to make the infinite decisions in front of us every single day, every single hour, every single moment. He has given us resources. Now, here in this chapter, Luke gives us some hints at some very specific ways in which God is doing that. He's first of all... The resource he's given us is, he has given us the church. He's given us one another. Paul knew that. He spent much of his life planting churches and engaging with churches, supporting churches, comforting churches. Well, here in this passage, there are a couple of hints that that's very much in focus as Luke describes what's happening here. If you look at chapter 20, verse 7, They are in, according to verse 5, in Troas. And verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. That's the first reference in the book of Acts to the church doing what you and I are doing right now. The first day of the week, God's people got together. And that's what we're doing right now. It makes reference to breaking bread. Well, that's not referring, I don't believe, to a particular kind of ritual they were doing. It's referring to a lifestyle. It's referring to to their getting together and, and, and actually... Sharing Christian fellowship, which includes this dimension of breaking bread. The Lord's Supper, at its very best, we're going to do it t- together in a couple of Sundays. The Lord's Supper is a, is a Christ-given picture of that. But that what it's a picture of is not a picture of a ritual that somehow magically does something. What it's a picture of is the interconnected life of Christian fellowship. I'm not just making that up. If you remember back to Acts chapter two, verse forty-six through forty-seven, the very first Pentecost, when the church was gathered together and there were just a handful of them, they were they were together. They were sharing fellowship, and it says, "Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God." And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, if this Lord's day you want to live out Acts chapter 2, verses 46 to 47, a really good thing to do when you're leaving this morning is to stop by the table that Kristen and Joe McInally have out here in the lobby. And take a moment to add your list to our Acts chapter 2, verse 46 suppers. And believe me, they're intended to do more than let us get acquainted with each other. It includes that. That's a nice thing to do. But we call them Acts 2, 46 suppers because the purpose is infinitely bigger than a get acquainted opportunity. It's an opportunity to do what the church was doing at the very beginning when the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day. Those who were responding to a direct mail piece, no. Uh, Those who uh, decided they'd become Presbyterians, no. What the Lord was doing was He was adding to the number of those who were being saved. That's what Acts 2.46 suppers are about. It's about us coming together in Christ, sharing fellowship, being full of praise, full of gratitude, sharing meals together in our homes, and reaching out in love to the world around us. That's what Acts 2.46 is all about, and that's what these suppers are intended to help us to do. It's just a little, little effort in that direction. They're not magical. But they're a, an, an effort in that direction. They're us seeking to learn from God's word, how we can live life together. So God has given us the church. He's given us the fellowship of the church. And in verse um, 7 through 12, we we hear a little glimpse into that, a a little anecdote. I mentioned last week that Acts includes a whole series of very interesting anecdotes. Well, here's one of the more interesting anecdotes. It's the story of a young man named uh, Eutychus, and uh, he's, uh, his name, by the way, means lucky. <laughs> and uh, he was pretty lucky because he was up in the window. It'd be hard to get up into that window. But they were up in the window, and Paul was preaching a long time. You may be thinking I'm preaching a long time, too. But at least I probably won't keep you here until midnight. Um, Paul was preaching with urgency. He was leaving the next day. And he had an urgent message for them. He wanted to teach them. He wasn't telling them funny stories. He wasn't entertaining them. He had an urgent message from the Scriptures. And he was sharing it with God's people there in Troas. And this young man, Eutychus, he's up in the window. He's drifting off sleep. There are these lamps in the room, Luke tells us. Maybe that made it difficult to breathe. I don't know. But whatever it was, Eutychus is there in the window and the the houses in those days uh, didn't have window frames or window panes it was just an open space in the wall and Eutychus was sitting there and he falls out he falls asleep and falls out the window and he's three stories up and they see him down there on the ground it doesn't take a genius to figure out fall out of the three-story window that's not good they didn't have any ERs they looked down and saw a young man dead. And so they go rushing down there. I mean, that's a, that's a terrible spoiler to the, to the church uh, preaching mission, to have somebody fall out a window and die. That's a whole series of bad decisions, you know, in the human sense. They made all kinds of decisions. Why were they burning those lamps? I don't know. But whatever it was, there was this situation where this young man is obviously dead and there's no doubt about it it, it actually makes it very plain that that uh, Paul was taken up dead he doesn't say he's taken up looking dead Luke is capable of using that expression at a different place in the book of Acts but here he says Eutychus is taken up dead he's dead 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 But it says in verse 10, Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Paul, the pastor, took this young man in his arms. And he bent over him. And he said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Did Paul have supernatural knowledge? Did he heal him? Paul's done lots of healing in the book of Acts. He's got a reputation for that. But all Luke says is that um, Paul says, don't worry. Don't be alarmed. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. See, that's one of the things the fellowship of the church is meant to do. It doesn't always have dramatic elements, but it always includes comfort. It always includes encouragement, even in the face of death. Even in the face of death. It includes encouragement, and it includes comfort. And Paul here just becomes a little picture of the role, the privileged role of the church that we we wrap our arms around each other and we comfort each other and we encourage each other and we remind one another of the promises of the sovereign God Almighty who is working for good. Eutychus got up and walked. At the end of the book of Acts, Paul doesn't. Stephen didn't. Christian life includes the reality of death. But the Christian life includes the promise of the life that is in us. The life that is in us is bigger than us. The life that is in us, in Christ, is forever. So Luke, in the story of is. He's not just teaching us a parable for long-winded sermons. You may be wishing they would have that application today. But that's not the point. The point is that we have a God who's working for good, who restores and heals and gives life. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, said Job a long time before Eutychus. We worship a God who is working for good and the church is the community that comforts and encourages on the basis of that confidence. That there is a sovereign God and we can lean on Him. We can trust in Him. Well, Lucky was very, very lucky. Eutychus was very lucky. So, we have the church, we have the fellowship of the church, this community of care, where we wrap our arms of love around each other. And finally, God has given us his greatest resource, which is himself. He gives us himself. He gives us his word, but what his word does is actually bring him. He is the ultimate resource. We don't trust in a book We trust in a God who has given us a book. We trust in a God to whom we can pray about deeply personal things and global things. We can do it with equal confidence. I can pray for Ruth, who's had a pacemaker and is doing well at home. I can pray for her, a deeply personal one-on-one need. And I can turn right around and pray, Lord... Put an end to this coronavirus pandemic. Please put an end to it. We can pray both of those prayers with equal confidence because there's a God who reigns over everything and he's given us himself when we face tough decisions. There are a couple of reasons I say he's given us himself in this particular passage. If you look at verse 8, It says, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. Upper room, does that jump out of anybody else when you read those words, the upper room? Well, the upper room shows up in Acts chapter 1 verse 13. Acts chapter 1 verse 13 includes a reference to the disciples being gathered on the first Pentecost in the upper room. They were there together, the launch of the church, they were there together, and uh, they were there in the upper room. And of course, that's a reminder of a passage in Luke chapter 22, verse 12, where at the first Lord's Supper, the disciples were together with Jesus in the upper room. Mark chapter 14, verse 15 makes a reference to the upper room as well. When we read the upper room, the, the words are meant to call to our mind not just the upstairs sleeping room. By the, way, by the way, the upstairs rooms were the intimate rooms. They were the place where you went to sleep. That's where you were with your most intimate friends. The ground floor rooms were the public rooms. Those are the rooms where you had your big fancy dinner parties. The up, upper room is the place of intimate fellowship. It's the place where you're with your closest family and your friends who you love like family. And we're not on a second floor here this morning, but this is an upper room. This is a place of fellowship where we're with the one who is above, Jesus Christ. And His promise to us is that He is with us. That's the promise that Luke records all the way back at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He dwells in the room with us. Where we sleep, He sleeps. Where we eat, He eats. He's with us. And when we read this idea of them being gathered together in the upper room, it's unimaginable to me that they didn't remember the upper room For Jesus was with His, was with his disciples the night before He died for them when he broke bread with them. So that's, a, that's one very interesting little hint. There's another little hint. Look down at verse 16. Very end of the passage. This long travel log. Paul's going to this island and that island. He goes to Chios. Will, do you know the name, Will Grover, do you know the name Chios? Chios is where Homer was born. Homer was born in Chios. Well, in this travel log, there's a reference to, uh, to Homer's birthplace. Samos, Miletus, They decide to sail past Ephesus. Look at the very last words in the verse: "For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost." Today, he wanted to be with God's people in Jerusalem. Today, to share fellowship with the church, the suffering church in Jerusalem, by the way. Part of his purpose was to bring money. He was delivering money collected from all the churches of, of Europe, Asia, and Achaia, Greece. He was bringing that money to bring it to the church in Jerusalem to, sh- to help them to show the love of Christ in a concrete way. And he wants to go. This is just a few years after the Pentecost, but it is years later. And he wanted to be with the church on its birthday in a sense. Church is really just the covenant community continued, but there's a sense in which something is launched on Pentecost Sunday. On this day that we remember today, the Holy Spirit comes in fulfillment of Jesus' promise. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit reminds us of Christ. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus powerfully present with us. The Holy Spirit brings us to Jesus' word. The Holy Spirit pries open our cold and resistant and distracted hearts and gives us grace to hear the voice of the living God who speaks to us. And Paul wanted to be with the church in Jerusalem on that day. It was a decision he made. That's, That's another little hint The Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, that first uh, Pentecost Sunday, there was a sermon text. We, We read it this morning. It was Joel. We read the Pentecost sermon text this morning. Paul wanted to be there with God's people to bring them a concrete expression of God's love. Well... We have lots of big decisions to make. You've got a big decision to make next Sunday when you decide who will be your new officers. You'll be saying yay or nay. You'll decide about that. We've got other big decisions about our church budget. We decide every single day how we're going to be involved. How will you be involved in the life of the church? We just had a new members class yesterday, and one of the final questions, one of the final promises that every member of MetroCrest makes is how will you... Do it. How will you seek? What are your decisions that you will make? Make decisions. It's a privilege. It's part of the privilege of being a human. We get to make decisions. How will you do it? How will you fulfill the call that God has given you? And the wonderful thing is, take the decisions seriously. I encourage you. Please, please, please take them seriously. But know this know this, brothers and sisters there is a God who has a purpose and He will accomplish His purpose. You can count on it. He will accomplish His purpose in you, through you, in spite of you. He will accomplish His purpose. Trust in that. Cling to that. We're meant to.